Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning. Are you ready to enter into the final verse of Matthew chapter 5 today? This is going to be the pinnacle of Jesus' sermon, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Next Sunday, we will gather one service, 10 a.m., all right? One service, 10 a.m., Palm Sunday. We will have a guest speaker with us. Christian McNally will be here. Uh, McNeely, I think is how you say his name. And that will be the day we receive our commitment cards for Grace Forward. So remember to bring that card. Pray about that uh, finally this week and bring that with you next Sunday. And we will trust that the Lord will provide for the need. I mentioned Christian McNeely. He is the director of church planting uh, with the Great Commission Collective. And how do we carry out the Great Commission globally? And we're partnered with other works, and he's going to come just encourage us and challenge us. He's with a network of uh, international churches, planting churches that are gospel-centered, Christ-centered. And so you're going to enjoy. Do not, do not miss. 10 o'clock, all right, next week, 10 o'clock. Then we get to Easter Sunday. We're going to have the sunrise service at 6.30 and then the two services at 9 and 11. So spread the word, all right? That's a lot of information coming up, I know. But you'll find all of that on the webpage. You'll find all of that on our Instagram. And, you know, just help us get the word out, all right, so that we will all be at the right place at the right time. 6.30, you ready for that on Easter morning? 6.30, okay. Look, Abby, I'm just sending Abby all over the place. She's just catching all those slides. You're doing good, Abby. All right, Matthew 5, 48. This is the pinnacle of Jesus' sermon. Everything that he has said so far in this chapter is leading to this verse. Everything in chapter 6 and 7 is coming from this verse. All right, this verse is the pinnacle. It's the most pivotal as the Savior calls us to discipleship. So let me begin this morning, not by teaching something new, but by reminding us of the definition of discipleship. What is discipleship? Mark Dever, in his book, Discipling, provides a very helpful working definition. All right, you're going to be working this out as you gather in small groups, maybe today or this week. It's simply this, helping other people follow Jesus. All right, we can make it a whole lot more and we can work it out into, you know, a month of studies or a lifetime of studies. But at the end of the day, discipleship is following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. So I want, I want that to kind of clear the air and set the stage for what we're talking about today in this message and what we'll be gathering and focusing on, about in our small groups, living life together. Here's what uh, Mark Dever says in this, in this book, Discipling. He said, in the life of a church, spiritual growth and health should be the norm. It should be normal to see people growing and maturing spiritually. In fact, spiritual growth is not optional for the Christian. It indicates life. Right? We're about a month out from another baby being born. That's what they're going to be looking for is life, for that baby to cry, for entering the world, breathe air, make noise. 
So it is in the church. Things that are truly alive grow. Dead things don't. God has gifted a church with elders for the purposes of growth, and he has given us one another. It is within the context of all these relationships with members and pastors alike, all covenanted together, that we find the richest soil for discipling relationships to supernaturally grow. Our doctrine and life attain their shape within the doctrine and life of the community. This is a culture of discipling. This is what Jesus is preaching and teaching to his disciples here in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's hear this final verse. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This brief verse summarizes the heart of the gospel. It also summarizes the theme of the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. This verse also summarizes the heart of God the Father in heaven. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Greek word is teleos. That word is also translated mature, complete, and even blameless. In the Old Testament, we look at the word perfect. There's a Hebrew word, tamim is the word, that can be translated blameless, complete, entire, full, perfect, whole, without blemish, without defect. In Leviticus, that word tamim was used repeatedly to describe the sacrificial animal that was to be offered. That it had to be tamim, without defect, There were certain offerings that the Lord said, you offer tamim, the whole thing. Not part of it, offer the whole thing. Another Hebrew word is shalem. Sounds a little bit like shalom, peace. It has that connotation, and it describes something that is whole, something that is complete, perfect. Listen to the way that Luke, in his gospel, chapter 6, we studied this some years ago. In verses 32 to 36, he is coming to the end of his account, the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 32 of Luke 6, he says, and this is Jesus speaking, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to give back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's us. And in verse 36, he says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Now, back in the Old Testament, 
God through Moses, a very similar, we hear something that when you start putting all this together, because our goal is what, is, what does Jesus mean? How are we supposed to be perfect? I mean, do you know my wife? <laughs> and she would say, do you know my husband? And you would say the same thing. I'm not living with someone perfect. And you look at the person in the mirror. You see a perfect person there? No. And then how do we understand this verse? Leviticus 11 Verse 44, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Verse 45, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You're my people. I delivered you. I rescued you. That's Exodus. That's the rescue that God provided. And so then the Lord says, you, there, you shall therefore be holy. Why? For I am holy. Be merciful. Your father is merciful. Be perfect. Your father is perfect. Be holy. For I am holy. Now the apostle Peter, he heard this sermon. He knew his Old Testament. He heard Jesus even use these different words to describe the expectation of his followers, his disciples, the ones that Jesus had delivered. A greater exodus than what Moses provided, that the Lord provided through Moses of his people. He delivered them out of Egypt. They all died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. Jesus' delivery is much better much better. Passover, the lamb died. They were rescued. Exodus is the delivery. We, Good Friday, Jesus died. The Passover lamb, he offered himself. But Passover is done and resurrection morning, we worship a living Savior. That's coming up and we celebrate that. Many people do, but they do they really have the full understanding of what God did? Peter did. 1 Peter 1, 14. He understood what it was to let your light shine. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If you belong to Christ, you shouldn't be living the same as you were before. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in how much of your conduct? All your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Be perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. Be merciful, for your Father in heaven is merciful. It's all coming back to if he's your Father in heaven, you either have a father who is the devil, the father of lies, and you buy the lies and you follow lies, or your Father is in heaven. If your Father is in heaven, your life is going to be changed and changing. You're going to look like your Father in heaven. It's not going to be you are your father in heaven and you're perfect, but you are going to desire to be like your father and he is working at that, out that desire in you by the Holy Spirit. So here's the big idea for today. Here's the proposition. Here's what we're laying out. A person cannot truly live without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I can live without it, but you can't truly live. Jesus call to discipleship is a divine call to righteousness. And we're going to unpack this morning in this one verse, what does Jesus require? 
What does he require? Number one, perfection is needed. And we see this because now this verse, okay, when I was originally going through it, I was thinking, you know, okay, we're going to study, you know, love your enemies, verses 43 to 48. But the more that I studied it and realized 48 is not the end of love your enemies. 48 takes us all the way back to you have to have righteousness that is better than the scribes and the Pharisees. Perfection is needed. There's an eternal difference, beloved, between religion, what we do, and conversion, what God has done in Christ. Self-righteousness is actually false righteousness. It's not really righteousness at all. It's insufficient. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's when, when he said that in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, this is what he's talking about. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not going to happen. And all of the people would have been thinking, I thought they were the standard. And the scribes and the Pharisees would have looked at each other and said, are you kidding me? We are the standard. And he just told us, not good enough. We need a better, we need a different kind of righteousness, not more of the same not more of what we're doing. Christ's righteousness is pure righteousness. It's all sufficient. This is so important for us. Self-righteousness, the person who is religious, they, they've done the religious things, religious things have been done for them. It, it, it's insufficient to clothe our nakedness before a holy God. We need a different kind of righteousness that can't be bought, can't be earned. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his righteousness imputed to us, given to us at the cross. It is the great exchange. We give to him our sin. We give him our shame, our past, our present, our future, and he gives to us himself. Amen? Life that never ends. Righteousness that we are treated just as if we've never sinned and just as if we've always obeyed. This is the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus was saying, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to show you what it looks like to fill that out, to live that out. Every jot and tittle, not one promise, not one word will fail that Jesus will not fulfill of prophecies about him. So beloved, perfection is needed. All right, so you can just make that note. I need to be perfect. I have to have a perfect righteousness. Well, what does Jesus require? And somebody would have asked the question, you know, what exactly are you talking about then? So you're telling us we have to have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Tell us, teacher, tell us, rabbi, what does this righteousness look like? That's verses 21 to 47. Perfection was illustrated. Disciples of the Lord Jesus will shine the radiant light of the gospel. That's what Matthew 5, 16 is. Let your light shine. There's going to be a difference about you. You've been delivered. You've been rescued by the living God. Everything about your life is going to change, and yet you're still dwelling in the same tabernacle with the same temptations, the same struggles, the same bumps, the same scars, the same, you know, all that that you were before you came to faith in Christ, except the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And the work of the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. And this change takes place within us and it takes place within this discipling community, the church, where we walk together in 
Christian discipleship. When the heart is changed, then the life is also changed. And disciples will be known as Christ followers. And they are the ones who live out the antithesis of the teaching and the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is setting forth, this is, this is my disciples. This is what they do. And everyone can look and say, well, we've seen the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people. And then these are true believers. Wow. That's really, there's really a distinction between them. These people look really holy when they're in holy environments, and then you get them somewhere else and they don't look so holy anymore. These people are the same wherever you go. They're changed. There's something different. And they live for the glory of God and for the good of all around them. There's something that makes me thirsty for what they have. There's something about them that makes me want to know who is your God? How did this change happen? And so Jesus lays out that sermon, and we're not going to re-preach it this morning, but A through F are these sermons that we have gone through. They're all online. And Jesus says, my disciples avoid anger. And what do they pursue? Peace. Peace. There's a righteous anger that they have. They hate what God hates, but they are not those you are angry over. You offended me as if I am the be-all, end-all. Who cares? But if you've offended God, that's a different matter altogether. Jesus' disciples resist lust to walk in holiness. Each of these sermons, you've heard it said, but I say to you, anger, you've hated someone in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Okay, that's, that's all. that gets us all. You said don't commit adultery. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. I say if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty. And Jesus isn't giving something new. He's giving us the spirit of the law. These are expositional messages. And when he talks about dealing with our lust to walk in holiness, he talks about even if you have to maim your body off a right hand, pluck out a right eye to follow Christ. This is a main, but understand when we get to verse 48, he's talking about there's a change that we've gone from being maimed and marred and broken to a complete mature follower of Jesus Christ. How does this process happen? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 31 and 32, we oppose divorce and we honor marriage. They, remember what they were doing? Hey, Moses told us, just make sure you got your paperwork in order. Divorce is no big deal. Divorce is painful. And for those who have been through that, you know the pain of divorce, the difficulty of divorce. And praise the Lord, he forgives and he builds up. And those who have been forgiven and been through or been a, a abandoned or betrayed by a spouse, you know what you have been through. God knows what you've been through as well. So we, we honor marriage. So we, we call our, our people who are not married to holiness. Why? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, sexual sin is unlike any other sin. It burns you from the inside out. It's you ruining you. It's this most unnatural, destructive, and Satan hates you. So he wants to destroy you. 
As followers of Christ, we reject lies to embrace the truth. Verses 33 to 37. We don't need a, a whole lot of, I, I swear to God, I'll be there at the coffee shop on time. That's, 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 that belittles the vows and the promises of marriage being sworn into a position in military or to serve as a police officer or as an official or as a judge or an elected official or in membership, the vow that we make that I'll walk in this community and we've entered into vows together as small groups that I'll make that small group, I'll be there and I'll love and I'll pray for my brothers and sisters. Why? It's that important. We reject lies to embrace the truth. We refuse revenge to reflect God's love. Oh, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. And they were flipping that around to say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Matter of fact, I think God makes me have to hurt you. No, 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 Jesus says that's not true. And something that I didn't say in these last two points, but I want to really illustrate, when we refuse revenge to reflect God's love, we do this in the name of Jesus, not in our own name. So we turn the other cheek. We give away our shirt and our coat. We go the extra mile. We give to those who beg and borrow. Why would you do this in the name of Jesus? Don't let there be any confusion that I'm doing this for the thank you card. I'm doing this for the social post. I'm doing this for some here and now applause. This is in the name of Jesus. May all the glory belong to him. And Jesus says, so we're going to, my followers are going to deny self to love others sacrificially. That word that we looked at last Sunday is agape. It's the highest form of love that there is. But it is a love by will. It is a love by choice. But that is not divorced from, it's not separate from that God is passionately in love with those who belong to Jesus Christ. That we sing the song, he chases us down. And everyone would say, that's foolish. What a waste. You're spending the blood of your son for him, for her? <laughs> Do you really know them? And the father says, yes. Christ followers love others. Because this love is not based upon the worthiness of the object of what you are choosing to love. When we say every week you are loved, it's not because you're lovable. It's not because I'm lovable. The love is because of the source of the love, not the object. That's how you can love the person that strikes you on the cheek like they did the Apostle Paul, like they did Jesus. That's how you can pray like Stephen did, forgive them, lay this not on their charge because you showed me mercy. It's not about the people that were stoning him. It's about do you understand the source of this love? It's not from me and it's not ultimately for me. It's for you and I'm a vessel for it to flow through. Is that how you view God's love? Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says, the father has given everything for us. He calls us to give everything for him and to him, no matter what it costs. Why? 
because the Father has given everything for us. And what did he owe us? Nothing. What do we owe him? Answer? Everything. Easy to do? <laughs> no. No, but that's where the reward is. We love our enemies. And you say, but they don't deserve it. Neither do we. And we pray for those who persecute us, that they will either come to worship Jesus or they will stand before him in judgment one day and that is not to pass off whatever's been done against you as if it didn't happen or doesn't matter. It does. But when we pray for those who persecute us, we're putting their case, our cause, into the hands of the righteous judge. Just like we talked about last Sunday with Corey Tim Boom and that guard, and she couldn't forgive, but she could lift her hand. And the Lord in and through her brought forgiveness and brought healing. So what does Jesus require? Well, that brings us to verse 48. Perfection is needed. Perfection was illustrated. Perfection is demanded. It's demanded. Okay, so here's what someone could have been thinking. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, so what are they batting? What's their average? They batting 500? Then are you saying we got to bat 550? Are we making a deal here? Are they, they're coming in at 80% of righteousness. So is Jesus saying, if we can get in there at 85, 90 We'll be good with God. He'll, he'll just, you know, overlook that last 10% as if we could actually do 85 or 90. Are we making a deal, Jesus? And this is where all human hope, hope in me saving myself, is, is just vanquished when Jesus says, here's, this, here's what I'm talking about. 100% holy, perfect, righteous, mature, full, complete. And those of us who are honest say, I can't. I'm out. I'm out. You remember when they brought the woman to Jesus? Not the woman and the man. They brought the woman caught in adultery. Hmm. And Jesus stoops down after he says, all right. You without sin, go ahead, fire away. And he stoops down and whatever he wrote in the sand, gave theologians something to debate about. People to ask questions like that in Bible studies. Well, what did Jesus write? And from the oldest to the youngest, the religious hypocrites bailed. The older were like, ooh, my record is, I'm out. The younger, more stubborn and more arrogant, took them a little longer. And then finally, it's just Jesus and the woman. Woman, where are your accusers? Where'd they go? I don't know, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin. What? I'm going to change you. I didn't come for you to die today because if that would have happened, everybody would have died that day except Jesus. I came to forgive you. I came to give you new life. 
I came to change you. Amen? This is, this is who we're talking about. This is impossible. Perfection is demanded. We must all come to the place. Listen, you must come to the place where you say, I can't do this. The pastor gave a message that is impossible for me to do today. I need a savior. See, you're either saying, I can't, and I've trusted in Jesus, he saved me, or you're being hit with this spotlight today. I can't do this. I was looking for a few more tips to try to be better, and I just got crushed. John Calvin says it this way. He says, this perfection does not mean equality, but relates solely to resemblance. Do you belong to the Father in heaven? And if your answer is yes, then people around you will say that know you best, you look like your Father in heaven. Or the people around you say, you know, I don't think you look anything like the Father in heaven. I think you look like the father of hypocrisy and lies. Don't run from that. That's God and his grace and his mercy entering into our mess to call us out. Go and sin. There needs to be a change. Stop lying to yourself if there's not been a change. Now, at this point, the good news actually will make sense. When Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, then we have to come to a point where we understand this this gospel. It's the only gospel. But we need to understand this gospel. This good news is from God. You see, if we think, well, I just need to try a little harder, and someone comes and they tell you about Jesus, that doesn't really matter to you. If you're hit sunk, going down, I can't save myself, and someone says, here's your rescue. Now it's actually good news. Now it actually makes sense. Now you, you, you want to hear this. Do you know this God? Who is this God who saves, who is perfect? The Bible tells us in Psalm 18 and verses 30, through 32, that God's way is tamim, perfect. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength, strength and made my way Tamim. The Father's ways are perfect, and He perfects the way of His children. Blameless. That's helpful for us in understanding be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How am I ever going to be perfect? Your Father is perfect, and when you draw near to Him, you know Him, you're saved, He will make your way blameless. The law of God is tamim, perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is tamim, perfect. 
for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Do you know him? Do you know this God? His work is perfect. In Moses' final sermon, this song before he died, Deuteronomy 32.4, those of us who are reading through the Bible this year together, we just came through this. And Moses bursts forth this rock. His work is tamim. It's perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Did I miss a verse? The law of the Lord is perfect, re- reviving the soul. Did I say that one? That's Psalm 19.7. Seems like I got my eyes turned around here. Do you know this, God? His way is perfect. His law is perfect. His work is perfect. Do you know this, God? We're in desperate need of help. See, when we're put face to face with this God and who he is and what he expects of us, This is where we say help. This is where the gospel is exactly what we need because we've all sinned. Therefore, we're separated from this perfect God. His way is perfect. His work is perfect. His law is perfect. And we're in need of help. Romans, Paul writes 3 verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no not. What about me? No, not you. (laughs) Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. So much for I was searching for God and I found him. Not according to scripture. If you know Christ, he found you. He came after you because you were dead in trespass and sins and so was I. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become, become worthless. No one does good. Well, what, about, what about me? No, not even you. Not even one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, our way is not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us are even good. What does God do with us as sinners? Well, he has to bring justice and judgment. In Romans 6.23, our, our sin not only separates us, but it pays death. The wages of sin is death, but the free, God of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we get what we deserve, beloved, It's hell to pay. That's what our sin requires, demands. Because demanded of us is perfection. Be holy, or we can't see God. We can't be in his presence. And we say, we can't. Sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. We can't try harder, do more righteousness, go to church more, give more. That won't forgive a sin, not one. So Paul would write in Titus chapter 3, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. No, We can't. It's not works that we've done in righteousness. Why? Because those are all false righteousness, self-righteousness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He poured out on us richly. 
He's not just scrimping out a little bit of salvation for you. He gives us in his spirit his entire son so that, verse 7, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you hear what he's done for you in the cross and resurrection of Jesus? Not just pardoned you from a, a devil's hell. He's made all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus joint heirs. You're in the family. I'm adopting you. You have a new father, and this father will work his will out in your life and change you and make you day by day and moment by moment more like his son, Jesus. Praise the Lord for this. What has God done for us then? What has God done for us who are sinners in Christ Jesus? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the whole uniqueness of the Christian is found in their view of sin. How we view sin. I'm guilty. I deserve hell. And Jesus is God in flesh. He came, was born of a virgin, lived the life I could never live, and he died my death because of my sin. He didn't come, listen to me now, he didn't come to just give my life a little edge, give my life a little one-up, help me have a better parenting, a better marriage, help me have a better job and a better career and die and go to hell. He came to redeem me. That's the message of scripture. So this, this one verse, perfect, is demanded. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How then does this happen? It's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that we are justified. We're justified. Okay, when a sinner turns from their sin and they trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never done that, I'm urging you, I'm inviting you today to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. At the very moment that a sinner says, I can't be perfect. I need a savior. Then what does God do? He justifies you. You plead the blood of Jesus. He died my death. I receive him and he declares you. It's a, it's a judicial. The gavel drops and he looks on you covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, cleansed in his blood just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always perfectly obeyed. That's how he now sees you in Christ justified. Forgiven, adopted, redeemed, child of God. But what about the areas in my life that I still struggle with and you struggle with? This is the process that is ongoing, is sanctified. To be sanctified is this process we're called out, we're made holy, and there's still some edges that need to go inside of me and inside of you. And for the rest of our life, justification once and for all, never to be repeated. You don't have to pray again and again and again. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. When you cry out to him and he saves you, it's sealed in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in the Father. Sanctification is the work for the rest of our life that we're not home yet. I mean, if I'm honest and you're honest, can you say, yeah, I'm perfect, just like the Father in heaven. And anybody wants to find out about that, just, you know, see me afterwards. All right, we'll talk to your family about that. No, they lied. They lied. They're liars, yeah. I just, that commandment number nine, it's just in the dirt. Well, I didn't even know that was commandment number nine. Mm-hmm, line nine. 
This is experiential righteousness. This is where we see those areas in our heart and in our life and in our mouth and in our thoughts and in our attitudes and actions, and we don't like it because it doesn't look like our Father in heaven, and so we say, Lord, forgive me. And we get into community where other people are like, you know, that doesn't really look like the Father in heaven. You're like, I know, that's why I'm here with you guys, and hey, while we're at it, Let's help each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's grow together in grace. And the Holy Spirit in you draws you into the community of gospel-minded, Christ-centered people. And our lives are changed little by little by little in the little moments and the little get-togethers and the one Sunday night. And God breaks through in multiple ways throughout the course of your life, making you into the image and remaking you into the image of his son. And one day this work will be finished. And that's what is glorified. This is what salvation is, justified, sanctified, future. When you see Jesus face to face, the work will be finished and you will be just like Jesus. You won't be Jesus, but the work will be finished in you. We won't be God's, but we'll be completed. God's righteousness completed in us. So for now, we experience what one commentator described as a restful dissatisfaction. Thank the Lord I've been justified. This work of sanctification is just, are are we getting anywhere? Are we moving at all down the field? And then we trust and we know that one day, Philippians 1, 6, Paul writes, and I am sure of this. He's confident in this that he who began a good work in you, notice how salvation enters into our lives. It's not by us grabbing at it, getting it for ourselves. He is the one who, Genesis, begins the work in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who started the work? God did. Who will finish the work? God will. Isn't that a good thing? Because, good grief, I still have unfinished projects from the last sermon, whenever that was when I said I have unfinished projects. Some of those are no further done. And if I was to find hope in me, and I chose, and I'm amazing, and I'm free will, is there really any hope in that and confidence in that? No. God called me. He is changing me. He will finish the work in me, and you're part of this process. And I'm part of this as we walk together. Michael J. Wilkins, he says, restful dissatisfaction. It means that when we've given our best in discipleship to Jesus. Okay, have you given your best? Now think about this. Are you giving your best to Jesus? We are able to find contentment in our growth and accomplishment. Just give your best. Give your best to the Lord. Well, who's going to be judging me if it's my best or not? That's between you and God. What's his standard? Oh, I heard a message on this. Be perfect. Mm. Give your best to the Lord. And when you look and you say, but I blew it and I messed up and it's not enough and still I'm not like Jesus yet, then find the contentment in a growth and accomplishment that he will finish the work in you. It's a restful, it's already not yet. I am saved, I'm not glorified yet. I'm already seated with Christ in heaven, but I'm not in heaven yet. And we can take hope in this to say, God will finish the work in me. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, he says this, this is the perfecting work of God by the Spirit. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Amen? For those, these are the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now look at this process that happens here. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also... Wow, that's past tense. Glorified as if it's done. Yeah. Because God sees the finished product. It's not left up to a 50-50 God and me. God will accomplish his will in your life. And you say, well, then I'll just sit back because, you know, Paul's making it seem like we have no responsibility. Is that really how Paul lived his life? This moved him. He didn't sit back and say, well, Lord, if the Lord's already chosen everybody, then what, what am I doing? The Lord has chosen people and he's gonna use me to go out and cast the seed and every heart that he has called, he will bring life to and he'll finish it in every single one. That gives hope. Otherwise, we get discouraged on it. All depends on me, it rests on me. There's no hope in that. Do you know this God? Have you admitted your sin? Then believe in the gospel. This is for, and you can write this down in the blank, me. It's for me. So I know it says on the screen for you, but it's also for me. And it starts by receiving the gospel first, that I receive the gospel, and then I can say, and it's for you. Admit your sin to God. Stop making excuses. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. Well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm trying. No, no. Admit your sin to God and believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and that he is your only hope of righteousness. Confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Call upon him today to save you from your sin. Can I ask you the same question that I've asked you how many hundreds of times? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ or have you rejected him? That's the two responses. To reject him is to walk away and say, I'm going to try harder. It's futile. Can't do it. Receive him is to be honest with him. Beloved, this standard, it crushes us. But then we're reminded, and in a few moments, we're going to remember and celebrate communion together that Jesus was crushed in our place for us. So, so get this together. He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that standard crushes me. And I say, I can't. And then the scriptures tell me, and these men who died to give us the word of God, it tells me that he was crushed for me and he made a way for me. He made a way for sinners. Hallelujah. Believe this gospel. Receive this gospel today. And then what do we do with it? Share it. Yeah, this gospel is for you. This gospel is for me. But this gospel is for the nations. All nations. It's been said this way, the gospel came to you because it was on its way to someone else. 
doesn't stop with you. It doesn't stop with me. The Great Commission is what we're called to. John Stott, he says this. He says, our Christian calling is to imitate not the world. Okay, we're, we're not to blend in. Remember last Sunday's sermon? We've not been born again to blend in and just fit in and look like everybody else. We're not to imitate the world, but the Father. And it is by this imitation of him that the Christian counterculture becomes visible. That's what Jesus is calling of his disciples. So what is this great commission? If we say, yeah, we believe that. We're to share this gospel. It's for all the nations. We believe that. I don't think anybody here would say, I don't think so, Pastor. Let's talk about that. I don't think it's for the nations. Then what are we doing about this? All right, the great commission. Make disciples. It's gonna come up on the screen, all right? Our discipleship pathway. How do we do this as a church? Okay, if I was to ask you, what is our discipleship pathway? How are we making disciples? Well, I could ask you the question, what is the Great Commission? And that's going to come up. You're going to say, well, I know that. We're supposed to make disciples. That's the overarching command by going, baptizing, and teaching. We go. We preach the gospel. We tell people at work. We tell people in our family that Jesus came. The message that I just gave, you're a sinner. And Jesus came, and he's sinless, and he died your death, and you need to turn from your sin and trust him. And there will be people, maybe even people this morning, that will say, you know what? This message, finally my heart has been opened to this message, and I receive this message, and I receive the gift of salvation today, the gift of eternal life. I receive Jesus Christ. Christ. Maybe that's you. What happens then? Jesus said, baptize them. People who receive the gospel, they receive Christ. They say, what's my next step? And we say, right there, it's the water, and we'll baptize you, and you'll go public with your faith. They're new believers. And then what did Jesus say? Teach them to obey all things that I've commanded. Observe, keep it all in mind, everything he said, even Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what we're doing. We worship together right here. Sundays, Lord's Day. We walk together, small group community, and we work together, we serve. That's what believers do, carrying out the Great Commission. What's our purpose statement? It was in place before I got here. I've said it so many times over the years. All right, read it with me. We exist to glorify God, reach people for Jesus Christ, connect them with other believers, equip them to grow in their faith, and serve him. Okay, so what does this look like then? The next screen will come up. What does it mean to reach people? What does it mean to reach people? Share the gospel. Oh, I thought that's what we paid you to do, Pastor. I do. But that's not just me. The Great Commission will never be done if only pastors you know, share the gospel. This is for all believers. We wouldn't be here 2,000 years later if it was only the apostles. Persecution slammed the church and it pressed them out into all parts of the Roman Empire preaching the gospel, carrying backpacks everywhere they went. That's how we're here. People will be converted. You can take heart. There will be people because you share the gospel that will come to faith in Christ and new converts will be baptized. So let me ask you the question, have you been reached? Have you been saved? Have you followed Christ in baptism? Well, what do we do then? Connect them. What does this look like? We, we receive them into the body of Christ. They've been baptized either here or in a church of like faith and the Lord moves them here and they become part of the community and they join the church and they join, they plug into a small group where they hear the word and they gather in a small group and they apply the word. We work it out, we discuss it, and we say, how can we obey the word together in community and we worship together and we repent together and we, we live life together. 
So let me ask you the question, are you connected? This is our plan. This is how we are intentional at making disciples. The third area is equip them. How are, they, how are we equipped? This is a way of equipping, Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what I am here to do, elders are to do, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The preaching of the word, number one, primary way of equipping a church is the faithful preaching of the word of God, teaching, exhorting in the scriptures. And then we gather in small groups and the word is broken over us in a small group and we discuss it and we pray with one another and we, we apply it in our lives. It's not just a message in and a message out. It's how do we obey this message? And then we serve. We serve the Lord. We serve in the local church. There's a ministry that bears our fingerprint as members. This is the place where God has equipped me and gifted me, not for me. So if, he, if you are saved, then he, the spirit lives in you. He's given you spiritual gifts. Those gifts you will give account to one day. What are you doing with what he's borrowed to you to serve other people? My gift is not for me. My gift is for you. Your gift is not for you. It's for those around you. But if someone's not using those gifts, they're missing out on the blessing that God would have them to receive. And then it doesn't just stay here. We don't believe in us for, for no more bar the door. We're moving into a building program to open up to the, to the the wider area to say, bring people because we want you on this discipleship pathway. We want this to happen here. So let me ask you the question. Each of these are going to come up. All right. First of all, we're to reach. Okay. I want you to see this. I want, I want this to just really settle into your heart and then be connected in the body of Christ. I want you to be equipped for the ministry that God would, and I want you to be engaged in what God's called you to do in serving. So now you have to take personal inventory, whether you're at home and it's online, you can see that on your screen. I would encourage you to take a picture of that. If you're watching on your tablet, you can take a picture on the tablet. And you ask the question, where am, where am I in this process? Have you been saved? Have you been reached? Have you followed Christ in baptism? If you say, no, I haven't. There's your entrance to this pathway. Then take that next step. Maybe you've been saved, you've been baptized. Keep, go back for me, if that, if, just hold that screen for me. Maybe you've been saved, maybe you've been baptized, but you're not yet, you haven't joined a church yet. Then that's your next step. Maybe you say, yeah, I'm a member here, but I'm not plugged into community yet. That's your next step in discipleship. How are we gonna see you mature in Christ? This is, this is how, this is the plan. To be equipped, to be faithful under the teaching of the word, to be faithful in a small group. And then to serve. Where's the ministry that you serve? And then check this. How are you helping others in this? Yeah, I've been reached. I'm connected. I'm equipped. I'm, I'm serving. Now, who are you helping to do this? And then how do we take this, the church, and put it somewhere else where it's not happening right now? That's what it is to multiply, that people grow up in this church, and we see men raised up, and we're going to gather this summer in men, that I believe that God will call from this body young men and middle-aged men, maybe even older men to say, I will take this and maybe some of our best people and we'll plant a church somewhere where it's not even happening right now. That's the only way the Great Commission is going to get carried out. And this is a, a glorious invitation into get on the pathway. I want you to stand before the Lord complete mature. You grew up. You just didn't stay there with the pacifier in your mouth. 
after your conversion for the rest of your missing out on days. Catching all the sports and catching all the activities and everything else and you missed maturing in Christ. God forbid. Heaven help us, no way. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, amen? This is what it is to follow Christ. Follow him. What a joy it is to serve. We're gonna close. I wanna just read the scripture that was in our, Mary read in that video that we opened the service with. Paul to the Colossians and he said, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul said, this is the labor of my life. Hear my heart. Every single person I'm looking at this morning, everyone joining online, you will stand before Jesus who died in your place. I want you to look forward to that day and anticipate that day and be mature, grown up, complete, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word is perfecting us. Your spirit is perfecting us, is growing us. And Father, I thank you for the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that to all who belong to you, we will, this work will be finished in us. Thank you for the joy that we have of living life together with our brothers and sisters in Christ in your church. Now, Lord, I pray that you will save those today who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that you will help us all to take that next step of obedience on the discipleship pathway. Whatever it is that we need to grow and mature, help us to take that step. As we encourage one another, we remember our Savior, and we long for the day when he will return, and we will see him face to face, and the work that you began in each of us will be completed. Thank you and praise your name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.